Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome oh, to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl, <laughs> and tonight I am joined by six members of my firefighting family. I have Kev. Hello. I have Ash. Hello. I have Rob. Good evening. I have Mr. Spence. Oh, what? Oh, hi. And I have hi, Scott. <laughs> hi. I got confused. Scott's not here. And <laughs> we also have a very special guest. Uh, we have Warren. Warren, welcome. Yes, sir. Thanks for being on this evening. I appreciate you coming in. Uh, just a quick touch on kind of uh, on your your time in here. How long have you been on the department now? Uh, five years now. Five years old. Oh, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like forever. <laughs> it's gone by quickly. What, uh, what, what made you want to join the department at work? I had a few friends on the department and was always interested in it, just didn't realize it. And then, uh, got into, I'm on with BC Ambulance um, and just got into more emergency services and this looked interesting. Huh. So Warren, we've, we've, Talked about Warren on a few episodes now. Um, Warren is our paramedic who is on uh, on the department. So uh, in this episode, he's going to be extremely useful. And uh, we'll talk about the subject here in a second. But I know that Ash, you wanted to you wanted to bring something up there. Uh, yeah, you bet. Um, we're just coming off of uh, Remembrance Day weekend here, and we thought it'd be very important to just take take a minute, um, speak to and think about all the uh, men and women that have served our country and uh, our neighboring countries. Um, yeah, just kind of take a quick quick moment uh, in, uh, in remembrance of uh, all the sacrifices that they have uh, given for us. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I know that our department went out and joined in for the, the march up on the day. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were down there for that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. It's always nice to turn out for those things and, and show our respect. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of uh, veterans become firefighters or police, that sort of stuff. Cause That's right. I don't know if they're looking for the for the adrenaline still or, or they just maybe just want to keep serving. Because I know a lot of guys, when they get out of the military, they end up joining the fire service or, or police forces. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely that same, same kind of mindset that, that carries through. And then uh, I know, Scott, that you also wanted to mention something else big that's going on. Yeah, because right now um, our fire season's over. Like our, sorry, our wildfire season's over um, because it's cold here now. <laughs> um, but our wildfire season's been over for a few months. Um, however, it would seem that the California wildfire season is still going strong because um, there's a few big fires down there. One of the biggest uh, being the campfire, which is an odd name for a fire because every time, because when I first heard it, oh, a campfire. Well, that doesn't sound very big, but I realize that's the name of the fire, not it was a campfire burning. Um, so I so, thought it was a campfire that started it originally, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it wasn't until I read a, into it. Yeah, it was a strange name for a fire. Um, so as of right now, there's 42 people um, confirmed dead, which is like ridiculous. And yeah. then there's, uh, I think there's six, <clears throat> 6,500, almost 7,000 structures lost, which is like for us, you know, we lose one or two structures on a wildfire and it's it's crazy it's bad to lose seven thousand structures that's i couldn't even imagine that's like unheard of yeah yeah, that's like half of our area and you didn't (laughs) like half of our area like a big part of our area yeah it'd be a huge portion of and you didn't you didn't say too that fire only started on thursday yeah yeah Yeah, so that's crazy wow it's not much devastation yeah and it's all fast it's all wind driven all those santa Ana winds that they've got that are pushing those flames like there's nothing firefighters can do because <laughs> when you see the video it's just it's just ripping through there there's nothing like you know we were talking you know what what could be done some of our tactics we use up here and nothing's going to stop it uh-huh. until the wind dies i don't think they're getting any rain because they haven't had rain in i don't know when the last time they had rain down in california i don't yeah, know they get rain anymore maybe, I don't yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> 20, yeah, <three> years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's horrible just to see the stuff that's going on down there. And and to you know, like you said, if we were in that situation, we we would have no. There, I mean, they were obviously in the same situation, but we would never. We'd not be able to control it. Yeah. There'd be nothing we could do apart from sit there and watch stuff mm-hmm. burn and try and get people to safety. Because when when I look at their, because when I've been down in California a few times, I think we probably all have. If you look at their landscape, it's, it's similar to what we have. Very similar. Very similar. I yeah. mean, we're part of the essentially part of the same merit like desert area. Yeah. So it's you know. We do have that same kind of climate, sort of uh, um, scrub brush kind of stuff. Yeah. But we just don't have, well, I mean, we do get some wind-driven fires, but they're not, the winds don't last for weeks. They last for hours. Yeah, right. And then they usually die down at night. I I don't (coughs) see those things dying down at night. Just, yeah. As far as when you get into class six, rank six fires, they start to create their own weather and that kind of stuff. And that's what they've got going on also. Yeah. Well, just watching a video Ash just had on his phone here too, was showing at night the ash mm-hmm. blowing down the road at night like, you know, like it's moving. It's yeah. moving like well, it was like a lake, like twenty a, thirty kilometers an hour. Like waves of ash rolling down the road, yeah. coming off of structures, coming off of brush. It's it's crazy. And then uh, also, like how many firefighters are out there right now? Already eight thousand. Eight thousand mm-hmm. men and women out there. How many of those are on search and rescue mission, not active firefighter? Because mm-hmm. I mean, with with all these people, there's forty some odd casualties confirmed, but how many are missing still? There's so many un, unaccounted there's for so people. Two hundred fifty plus. Yeah, still so, unaccounted for. Fifty-two thousand evacuated in right. one in that one fire. In that one area, yeah, and another one. Whole town lost. Another <laughs> fire just popped up today or yesterday yeah. in uh, and it, Los Angeles. I also wonder how far it's spotting because. Like we get spots, like we get spot fires from our mm. fires. Um, I just wonder how far it's spotting with that with, with that, <laughs> like waves yeah. of ash. We got a couple hundred yards. Yeah, they're gonna get miles. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's pushing. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, we just want to say, you know, stay safe out there, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Just keep it up and and do what you can. And yeah, just just stay safe. Uh, tonight's tonight's subject is uh, is not going to be wildfire tonight's subject is actually going to be auto extrication and we're going to talk a little bit yeah go on scott <laughs> <laughs> you actually it sounded like you said auto at that time <laughs> originally when you said it <laughs> i thought you were talking about auto extrication <laughs> and i was thinking i've never been on an auto extrication once in my life we did go on a pig extrication then. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> I vividly remember going for a swim. Yep, I remember how you know. Anyways, uh, the, um, we're talking about auto X, and uh, we're going to start with Mr. Spence. All right. Mr. Spence, auto extrication, you're the, you're the mechanic guy. You're the mechanically inclined person that we have. Um, you might say it's not just you there's a few people <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's the only one in the room in the, the room. rest of the department is useless <laughs> <laughs> so uh maybe let's touch a little bit on the, the kind of first step so we ran this scenario uh, we, we obviously do this quite often we're near a highway so we're dealing with this you know pretty frequently um but we recently ran this as a uh, as a portion of our open house during our um, fire prevention week when we had the public down um, we discussed this previously on one of the other episodes but just maybe run through the steps of what you were doing at the time and what you would do if you were the acting officer arriving on scene for the initial portion all right <clears throat> um the way we've got our our hall set up is that there is a duty crew and that duty crew is led by an officer who drives a duty truck so when the call comes in the duty officer and the duty truck would go direct. Uh, what their job is to do is to gather information and look for other hazards as they arrive on scene. So what they're going to do is their first initial 360. Hopefully they're going to grab a fire extinguisher just in case any fires spring up on our broken car. And they're going to wander around the whole car looking for hazards, um, be it other traffic or uh, power lines They're going to see what the condition of our patients are and try and glean if there are any other patients that are maybe not visible that maybe got ejected um, and just gather any kind of information to relay back to our first responding units 
um, just so that they can get a game plan going. And um, we've got an inner circle and an outer circle. So our outer circle is kind of um, our, our safe zone from where we work. Um, and the inner circle is the hot zone where all the action actually happens. Um, so the outer circle we keep kind of clean. We keep our uh, public out of it. And uh, we keep it. It's kind of like our, our fallback safe zone. I think it's kind of where the ICs should sort of be standing. Because yeah. they oversee the whole thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Sort of inside the outer circle. Yeah. 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 Have an inner circle captain. Yeah, like the, the, you the, the yeah. whole thing. Because you got the leader of the expedition, then you got the the IC who's overseeing the entire incident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to take that <laughs> step back to see the big picture. Yeah. So uh, we've arrived on scene. You've you've done your portion now. You've done your three sixty. You've got your fire extinguisher just in case anything pops up on the vehicle. Um. Now you've relayed that as the duty officer to the guys in the truck that are on the way to scene. And then they're making their own plan for trying to figure out how they're going to deal with that as best they can before they get eyes on it. But as soon as we do and we're there, the first step normally is to start securing vehicles. And Ash, do you want to start touching on, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> once you arrive on scene, um, I mean, every scene is going to be different. Uh, there's going to be, you know, potentially multiple vehicles. This car isn't going to be sitting on its wheels in the middle of the road generally. Uh, it could be up against something else, something else up against it. Uh, there could be, um, like, highway dividers. It could be against a tree. So what do you do? You have to stabilize. And there's going to be, um, you got stabilization. You, we're going to have blocks. We're going to have uh, V struts. We're going to have airbags. Um all these different tools to help us really create a safe environment before we start diving in to um, really addressing the patient and addressing how we're going to get that patient out. Right, right. Yeah, so making sure that before we start cutting off chunks and before we start working with anybody yeah. inside the vehicle, that the vehicle doesn't move so that mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, not just hurt the patient inside and, and everything that goes yeah, with that. But that patient's sure. already in a bad spot. They're they've already gone through a crash. Now we're going to be climbing all over top of this car, this truck, whatever it is. We're going to be cutting pieces of it away. Um, they've, they've already went through something terrible. We don't need that to happen to us while we're trying to help them. So yeah. safety's you know really paramount. And another really big portion of that as well uh, goes back to the, uh, the battery and connectivity and things like that. So uh, Spence, I know that we were talking uh, originally when we, we discussed this before, we were talking a little bit about the... Um, the uh, Tesla cars and uh, the other things and um, Tesla cars. Tesla car is, but so. no one talks my language. Right. So, um, right. <laughs> traditionally, if a person walks up to a car, you can tell if it's running because you might be able to hear an engine running. Uh, that's not the case these days with hybrid cars and electric cars like Tesla cars. And, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a golf cart. <laughs> kind of like a golf cart, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, a golf cart is basically a. Uh, well, no, because it starts yeah, as you put it. Yeah, so like that's the what. New, uh, the Ford, like F 150s, EcoBoosts. Yeah, yeah. They have auto shutoffs uh, come up to a traffic light. Yeah. Uh, if your foot's jammed on the brake and this thing, you might think it's stalled, it could just be shut off. Mm -hmm. The moment you take that patient's foot off the brake it's going to flash up right in gear what happens when you're in gear you try to move so that's right yeah. that's exactly right so that's the point that we're trying to drive home is that uh hybrids and electric cars you, you don't really know if they're running so you have to take that extra measure to see if there's a key somewhere and a lot of times they're rfid keys so you can't really tell the key might be in the patient's pocket in the driver's pocket right mm -hmm. um but there's usually going to be a button jerks. let's make it harder on us i know they are right <laughs> yeah Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to want to do is Don't most <laughs> most cars are automatics. Put it in a park, uh, that sort of thing, um, just because you don't really know. We're going to be chalking wheels and uh, cribbing the car and stabilizing, but take that added step and put it in park, even if you think maybe it's not running, because it could start on you. Or try and drive away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not on its own, though. Well, yeah. well, I guess autopilot <laughs> just drives away. <laughs> and, and to defend Elon Musk, 
if you actually go to the Tesla <laughs> Tesla car, <laughs> you go to the Tesla car and the Tesla's website, and uh, I prefer to just make things up. <laughs> they have really good resources there for firefighters. Lots of documentation on all of their models. Where, as firefighters, we need to go on that car to cut the power and make that vehicle safe. Uh, you might assume that. One is the same as the other. No, they're all kind of different. Sometimes the cutoffs are in the front, sometimes the cutoffs are in the back, and, and they do a really good job of highlighting those locations in the documentation. And when you do look, you'll see everything's kind of brightly colored and you just get your snips in there and snip it and it's safe, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. There was a vehicle that I was servicing in my day job. Uh, it was a GMC truck or something. Um, and I noticed when I popped the hood, I saw a firefighter helmet sticker. Remember? <laughs> and it, it drew it drew my eye to that. And <laughs> you thought a firefighter was inside. <laughs> thought there may have been a firefighter trapped in It's gonna get him up. Break in case of fire. Wow. Just like airplane <laughs> autopilot. But what this actually was, <laughs> believe accent. it or not, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> was uh, it was drawing your attention to. The electrical cutoff. So there was a, a picture of where you'd cut off the electrical power in this vehicle. Nice. And that was for firefighters to to know where to cut the electrical power off in the vehicle. It's good that they're labeling that stuff because mm -hmm. we're already, you know, it's complicated enough trying to deal with some of those things. But Is that label on the A post and stuff too? Because we had talked right, about the um, main power supply. Sometimes they run along those posts. Mm -hmm. No, that's less labeled other than color code. Um, Bright orange is what you're going to look for in electric and hybrid vehicles. Um, it's a bright orange conduits are the high voltage ones. That's a universally accepted. If you see like that black, you know, conv convoluted wiring. Yeah. If you see that in orange or anything bright orange. Cut it. <laughs> Don't cut it. Well, that's your choice to make. <laughs> but it's going to be around 600 volts. Oh, yeah. Don't cut it. Yeah. So, so that's how they label that is orange. Right. Yeah. So what we're saying is if you ever get into a situation with any electric vehicle, be super aware yeah. of... Good idea to have like pre-plan in place. Yeah. Maybe try to get some of that documentation beforehand if you have. Yeah. I am responding. There's lots of good resources in there to save that documentation so you can pull it up on the scene fairly quickly if, if you right. don't have internet connectivity or something. And, then, and that's like why we... <laughs> Sorry, gotcha. Uh, that's why we talked about before, too, about ripping the inside out, right. checking the panels, strip pulling them strip. apart. Stripping, stripping, strip, and uh, <laughs> just make sure we're not cutting through anything that could burst an airbag or... Um, you know, if the yeah. Tesla was still on, because you can talk to the Tesla, right? You can, you can, isn't the Tesla like a voice-activated thing? Go get coffee, Hey, Tesla, Tesla how do you chop yourself up? <laughs> Tell us how to oh, kill you. Cool. <laughs> That'd be cool. I can't do that, Hal. <laughs> so, another big, uh, <laughs> another big portion, obviously, so we've, we've, uh, we've done our 360, we've figured out what the hazards are, we know that we've got people inside, and we've stabilized the vehicles, and now we know we've got to start doing some work. In this portion now, Warren, I'd like you to take a little bit of control there and just have a chat about uh, by patient care yeah sure um definitely you know different types mvas whether it's rollover or a big impact or you know car versus semi-truck lots of different variables there um you know what's the main thing you're looking for is your patient conscious unconscious biggest thing though is communication to your patient if you can i like to get right in the vehicle Get right in there and talk with your patient. Get them to calm down. That's the biggest thing. And then especially once you start cutting the vehicle apart, explain to them what's going on. Because you and I know exactly what our next move is or what's going to be happening, what noises are going to be happening. The patient, they don't go through this stuff. They don't train it. They don't have an idea. So if they're in that state or not, even if they're unconscious, like we talked about, um, just talking through everything is going to help so much question um it used to be in the past that the paramedics would get in the vehicle and do all of that but that's not happening now 
it's more on us to be inside the vehicle. Yeah, uh, they're training paramedics more and more to, to stand back and let the firefighters bring the patient to you. Uh, so depending <clears throat> on who you get on car is really going to be uh, the call on, on what happens. But um, myself personally, if I show up on car, I'm going to be getting my hands dirty. I'm going to be right in there with you guys. But there's a lot of people that will be parking a ways away and waiting for that patient to come out. They might come over and, you know, beside <laughs> the car and take a quick look and do a bit of an assessment. But like I say, the best thing, getting in there. There's so many different things that are going to roll over. If there's objects in the vehicle, so many different factors into injuries in your patient. Uh, you can't really tell that unless you're in there. Yeah. That's a good, good, good point. And again, with that, knowing that you've got one of your guys in the vehicle taking care of that, that patient gives everybody else outside the vehicle a little bit of breathing room because they know there's somebody in there. They're running them through everything. Guys on the outside can start really thinking about it and controlling. They don't need somebody by the window at that point, maybe, of the vehicle taking up a little bit of extra space. Gives you a little different perspective on the whole scene as well. You've got your guys on the outside seeing what's going on, chopping this door and whatnot. Now you've got a guy on the inside seeing what the inner panels are doing, or it can be that guy to strip and rip a little bit as well and protect the patient, you know, with hard protection, soft protection from glass, whatnot. It just a way better opportunity. Right, right. You know, and what Warren was saying, one thing, keep talking to them no matter what, even if they're unconscious. Because um, hearing is one of the last things to go. And the uh, an unconscious patient. So I've heard that. Yeah. Hmm. Where'd you hear that, Carl? <laughs> Speaking of this earlier. Um, so it's one of the last things to go. So continue that conversation, even if you don't think they're listening. Um, and then same thing, the outside guys, they got to not say silly things. <laughs> they should just be talking about their tasks. You know, don't, I, we were talking earlier about one, on one practice night, one of the guys, one of the rookies and you know, and, yeah, he's a rookie. <laughs> And he didn't really understand what was going on. So he had said offhandedly, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And that particular night, because what we've been trying to do more on training is having actors, whether it's from the local high school, you know, we get the the acting kids because they like to, they're, they're there to act. So we brought them in. It's, it's, a, it's a good resource. Um, we brought them in that night. And uh, I guess one of the new guys, he said, I don't know what the hell's going on. And the person that was acting as a, as a patient heard that and during our debrief she said you know that wasn't that wasn't very reassuring when someone says that so just gotta be cautious of that make sure be mindful of it says someone's <laughs> saying drink <laughs> <laughs> uh, um of that of saying that because like i said like we were talking about a couple podcasts ago or last podcast when you close your eyes everything becomes enhanced so when your eyes are closed or when you're you know maybe your hearing's gonna be more enhanced and you'll hear things that you wouldn't normally hear so yeah absolutely down to the other thing we talk about with patients too you know depending on how critical your patient is really sets up your game plan on how much work you're going to do our biggest thing we push when we initially start training auto extrication is removing the vehicle from around the patient rather than removing your patient from your vehicle now of course that always comes down to how critical your patient is if it's life over limb or if you've got some time to work if you've got that time to work and you don't have to risk injuring your patient anymore Take that time, cut the car, make the right moves. If your patient's a little more critical and you got to move, get what you got to get done to get that patient out and go. Right. You know, I think that's where having guys like yourself, like Matt, Todd, these guys that are, you know, trying to play double duty there. Mm -hmm. um, like we're all trained to a certain level uh, for medical, but I mean, you know, you guys are definitely next level. Um, you can recognize so much more when that patient starts to take a turn. Um, and you can, especially if it's one of you guys that are inside the vehicle with them, you can make that call or recommend that call to say, Hey, you know what, this is, it's time to switch away from, you know, let's do this, let's do this. And let's turn this into a smash and grab. This is life over limb. Um, you know, having you guys on is, is, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'd like it without it. <laughs> it's definitely nice to have some medical guys that are uh, quite quite a bit more experienced with it than just your average firefighter. I mean, there's there's uh, halls out there that have first uh, responders and everything, and we're not one of those. 
So having some crossover paramedics that are with us uh, really, really helps out on scenes like that. Yeah. Gives you that comfort, especially when they're training you know, ambulance tenants not to jump right in there. Right. You don't have that cushion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that Ash kind of touched on it there. I don't know if we've ever really clarified to our audience that we're our hall, though I know probably the majority of them are, our hall is not a first responding hall, so we don't have that advanced <clears throat> medical background here. So we really heavily rely on our members like Warren and Matt, who are paramedics. They do work for a separate ambulance service because, again, much like I think in the States, a lot of the ambulances are tied into the fire halls. We don't have that here, so we're really relying on those members with the advanced medical training to really take care of that. Help dictate the call, yeah. sort of, right? Yeah. That being said, too, if you don't have an ambulance on scene or whatnot, too, we're pretty set basic with what tools we have medical-wise, so that can determine your call a lot, too. But Usually they're on scene, so you can have those tools on hand. And not saying that if we didn't have our advanced medical team there that we wouldn't get someone in the car to help with the patient and, and do our best for work within our... Mm-hmm or scope of practice, but it is a top priority for us to make sure our patients are comfortable and, and feeling more confident with our abilities right. and what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, making sure, you know, because the, the one thing we're there to do is help the people that are in those vehicles. It's, it's not about saving the cars, it's always about getting the people out. Rob? Just going back to talking about having uh, actors in the vehicles and live patients when we practice um, that gets our guys used to not just going in and cutting a car apart and throwing stuff around it gets us a little more aware of where that patient's going to be possibly what kind of protection is going to work how the tools are going to cut how they're going to move whether it's going to be um, pressing up against that patient um, at if you get a chance to use live actors and they're willing to, definitely use them in your training um, because we found it works. It gets us used to just <clears throat> what to expect or sometimes what not to expect. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, good too. You get the chance to explain to that patient. So when we had the high school kids, they've never been in a motor vehicle accident. So you get to explain to them, okay, you're going to hear a loud noise when this door pops or this cut happens. Mm-hmm. So explaining that to the patient so they don't jump is crucial. Yeah. Let's go. And uh, I found the best ones we use are, are not our members because we've used our members before. And, you know, our guys are like, ah, they're used to it. They'll sit in the car and they'll kind of jump around and be going to, because they understand what's going on. Um, the best ones to get are those high school students or family members. I think we've had a few yeah, family members yeah, now. Because yeah. um, you're a little bit more cautious when it's a family member or your kids or something. Because we've had... We've yeah, definitely been. used our kids before. Yeah, so. you know, and, you know, it's safe. I mean, it's as safe as we can make it. And uh, the kids are in there and we're being safe around it. But we're definitely more cautious when we're doing that. Whereas if it's one of our own members, you know, like I said, we're kind of like, man, eh, whatever. You know, because the guy knows what's going on. He's usually wearing his turnout gear. It's like... Yeah, so probably use, being a little bit of a dick actors. too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that extra level of, of realism uh, it dictates your speed too, right? Like, is like you say, if we were just doing it with a guy in, in bunker gear, he knows what's going on, we know what's coming, you know, and they're just going to brace for the for the movement. Uh, and speaking of movement, make sure one of the big things that you do, obviously, anytime <laughs> you remove portions or you remove patients, maybe one patient before the other, whatever you're doing. That vehicle, the pressure is going to change. That weight is going to change. And you need to be checking all of your stabilization consistently. Um, and making sure that, you know, everything's not going to not gonna move. Yeah, and that, uh, that goes back to reiteration on putting someone inside the car. You got guys working on the outside cutting that vehicle apart. They might see some slight movements here and there. But having a guy on the inside, you can really feel... How that vehicle's moving around if it is so you can reiterate hey we need to stabilize this corner a little more yeah, yeah and part of that team lead job should be to constantly be either checking it or reminding someone to check that um cribbing and we have like the new auto cribbers that you know as the, it starts to get uh, the weight starts coming off the cribber the cribbing should actually ratchet itself up 
so it, it automatically will adjust itself somewhat. I mean, I think it has to go up about a half an inch or something before it will yeah. go to the next ratchet. There is an increment, yeah. But it's they're pretty nice because it's not like, cause, you know, I mean, we still have lots of wood chocks that we use, wood blocks and stuff. They're good too, but there's no feedback on them. They'll just fall over and mm -hmm. next thing you're like, oh, the cribbing just fell out. Yeah, so, easily forgotten. Yeah, that's forgotten, yeah. Uh -huh. Wood certainly is our go-to for, oh, yeah. for, for yeah. cribbing and stabilization and all that sort of stuff. And it is imperative to uh, continually do that check of the cribbing. Um, partly to make sure that your car is not going to drive away on you or move away or roll away. Uh, but the other part of stabilization is that um, all the cuts and moves of the car while you're taking it away from your patient um, need to have that Newton's Law, the opposite force, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to push against something. And typically, it's going to be the stabilization. So that's really pivotal. You can't uh, move cars away from cars on their suspension because the suspension just moves. So you really have to have a stable platform to cut your car away from. Dash roll is a perfect example of that. Yeah, you may have to put some cribbing and some stabilization in places where you haven't had it previous on the car. Just, just for the roll. Just for the maneuver that you're about to yeah. do. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise you're pissed. It's just going straight through the floor. Exactly. Like you're, gonna... you're just going to be moving things and not in a predictable manner. Yeah. So you need to really make it in a predictable manner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're bending something that mm -hmm. like crazy. Yeah. So uh, I know because with our guys, when we do training and stuff, um, we or the training team tends to throw the most elaborate scenarios you've got cars sideways and and then we had that one we had the training session and then yeah like uh three days later it was, it was the exact same scenario we had a cb on its side person inside live actor inside warren was inside everything was the same and then two or three days later we get a call scb on its side person was inside warren ended up inside <laughs> it was like it was like if i well i did have two pictures of it side by side and they were almost identical um and so it just like it was it was actually kind of cool watching because we've already we just did it like three days earlier so the guys just went like clockwork and took the car apart it's a good thing we got there before the farmer flipped it back over with his tractor yeah that's, i think that's what his plan was until <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hit that tree yeah <laughs> you guys see that no oh man this farmer's coming up to try to help out oh, oh, oh my god mock turkey down <laughs> down, really? down his row and he wasn't yeah. paying attention <laughs> Well, I'm glad he wasn't paying attention. Stoves his bucket right, right into a well, stump. that's good because he would have probably really hurt the patient. <laughs> so instead, he really hurt himself. Yeah, so that particular call, we gained access to the back hatch. The SUV broke that glass out furthest away from the patient. Removed. There was a lot of objects in that vehicle. Yeah. Worked our way up. Um, and then, yeah, we ended up doing a roof flap on that yeah. uh, to get that patient out. And just, you know, there again, we had Sawzall blades uh cutters everything going on stabilization was great you could definitely feel it. the vehicle was very stable but uh yeah getting that protection in there being in there i remember we had some debate when we were gonna use a sawzall we're going like okay well it's gonna be loud for a minute or we're gonna be doing a bunch of chopping and bending for a few minutes so let's be loud for a minute and we're just talking to the patient and we were loud for a minute and got it open right away mm -hmm. versus taking that extra time and maybe it was going to be quieter and maybe a little bit uh, more gentle but we wanted that person out quickly yeah. so we went with a sawzall and cut it it was all, everything was still safe it just was the biggest part there. too is that patient was suspended in midair yeah. because yeah. uh, you know it was passenger side down being the driver hanging in midair yeah two mm -hmm. complications there as well I, I remember that call now too and talk about stabilization about cool. the, the types of stabilization that we had and on that one particularly i mean it was good because the i think the hood of the vehicle was up against a tree yeah you have like natural stabilization um, a lot of times we have natural stabilization yeah. yeah and i think the other thing that we had is we have the homatro uh, uh v struts yeah and we utilize those to further stabilize the back end of that vehicle yeah. um so that's one of the one of the tools that we have on the truck for stabilization yeah yeah it's uh it's one of those uh, auto X and I'm not saying because we, we get it a lot. We get it a fair bit, but we train pretty heavily on it too. I think for the stuff that we've done, but even the auto X stuff, uh, like we, we paid guys to come in for the courses and stuff, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, in auto X, 
on a practice night is hard to train because it's normally it's we have like one or two cars and really one or two people doing a job. Um, it's best when we train when we bring the um, experts in, and we do like a weekend long course. We put like ten of our guys in. Um, that's what I found. Now that's what I just I just budget. We just gonna do that every you know once a year for a whole weekend, and then just do some brush up stuff throughout the year. But um, we were we used to try to do more auto X, and it was just I I used to start noticing like one or two guys would be doing any work because really there's only so much you can do with the tool. Um, it's only when we get in these big scenarios where we can have lots of guys working, and so we try to do those um, every once in a while, and then we try to throw some curveballs. But but yeah, those big auto X weekends are probably the best training for our guys. Yeah. Another thing that happens with those uh, the bigger um, like the weekend scenarios where we bring the expert in is that we brainstorm and we uh, network because a lot of times we bring in other departments yeah. uh, to train with us, and also the uh, the instructor has ideas yeah. and gives us tricks. And uh, what I'm going to talk about later is exactly one of those things that we learned from that guy in particular. So, <laughs> the funniest thing that one the instructor only brought one like himself. He didn't bring the second instructor. And uh, he's like, yeah, I want you guys to do this and this and this. And he left to go talk to the other group. <laughs> when he came back, we totally did what he didn't want us to do. He's like, well, that's one way you could have done it. <laughs> and, like, cars in different pieces and bent the wrong way. We're like, oh, patience out. He's <laughs> like, well, that's one way. <laughs> yeah. I felt like a little kid. Hey, look what I did, Dad. Oh, no. <laughs> Disappointing. It's always fun to do what you have to do, but then how far can and you then take it? Then how far we can take it? Like, yeah. like a car taco or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, I, I think we've got some good pictures from the training session yeah. where we had that vehicle completely bent in half. We had the bus. We had the yeah. bus go open, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll take a look. Yeah, and uh, also with that, with an instructor coming in, um, uh, it takes guys out of their comfort zone. Yeah. So that guy just dictates and says, look, you're going to be IC. Oh, Whereas yeah. if it was one of us saying, you know, well, I'd like you to be IC, they'd maybe shy away. This guy doesn't have that sort of personal bond. He says, you do this and you just do it. Um, so it takes guys out of their comfort zone a little bit, which is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity as well, because uh, I think it was actually on that that uh, he got me to do one of the ones and control one of the things, and it was great. That's right. And, and was, you were in for how long? Uh, in the department? Only a few months. Months. And yeah. here you are being an IC on an auto extrication, a full auto extrication. Yeah, it was it was a lot at the time, for sure, especially with yeah. zero knowledge, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, on those weekends, we bring in like 15, 20 cars, and then uh, the night before he comes, and you know, we have like a big forklift out, and we have like a crane, and we says, Oh, I want this and that. And we set up a whole bunch of weird. Like positions of like vehicles that are just totally bizarre but they, they could happen like buses and um tractors is one thing we uh, i don't know if we did that on the last one but we, no. we've had tractors where stabilization on a tractor is very weird because it's like it's, there's basically three points <laughs> and you know it's not like a car where it's a box a tractor is a strange thing to try to stabilize and you know around here that happens rollovers on tractors yeah and, so one of the things that this outside instructor taught us um, was just a little uh, tidbit or pearl of wisdom, as it were. Maybe a tactic. It may be a tactic. Uh, so you roll up on an inverted car, a car on its roof, upside down type of thing, a rollover. Your patient is still seat belted into the car, right? Love this. What are you going to do? So um, we've used it a few times on scene. We do it often in training. Well. As often as we can with inverted vehicles. Yeah. We've done it in training. Patients get annoyed when we hang them upside down. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, Anywho, um, you can't just cut your seatbelt and drop your patient. And it's tough to hold your your spine board or whatever you're going to catch your patient with. So what we took from this course a long while ago is you roll a uh, standard ratchet strap all the way around the car. And your ratchet strap, you tighten it up against your patient around his pelvis or wherever you're going to hold your patient from. Then you cut your seatbelt. And then you have a, a bit of a controlled lowering via the ratchet strap. You can use it almost as a like a rope uh, friction device, descending device. And you can lower your patient down in a controlled manner if they're in a rollover, upside down, still seatbelted into the car. We just did that recently, actually. Indeed, we did out north of town there. Worked really good. It was beautiful. 
It's I've one, used it a, a few times on scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of those <clears throat> tools that we kind of pull it. It's like it's almost a grab bag tactic. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's one of those things that you don't always have to use it on everything, but when you do use it, it works beautifully every time. Like, it's just that controlled manner. It's more comfortable for the person inside the vehicle. It's easier for us because we can get in a position as things change, you know, it just in as, as that distribution happens with the weight and stuff. It's, it's way easier for us. At that time too. Well, it's really outside the box kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. Which yeah. often works better than, than what's in the manual. I don't know what's in the manual. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a manual? Uh, there's got to be a manual. <laughs> must be a manual somewhere. Yeah, there's a manual. Training officer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> there's a manual. <laughs> So you may want to try it and practice it and train it at least once or somehow prior to employing because there's a bit of a trick to it. If you just release your ratchet strap, you may drop your patient. I think we didn't roll them to release. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I thought one time we he taught us without even using the ratchet part of the ratchet strap, just hooking it onto the, the hook part and using this friction of the hook. Oh, yeah, sure. lowering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember that because he said, yeah, you don't have to use a ratchet because sometimes it's hard to release the ratchet. Yeah. I think we strap, used it through the ratchet just with a bit of friction and then yeah. still yeah. just held it, right? Yeah. So it was kind of... Yeah, you don't want to be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's... And you're never going to use it. Yeah, we just use the, the ratchet as a, like a friction device, right. a blade device. Yeah. Right. I guess one of those ones to add to the uh, add to the, the video list right. for, for stuff coming up. Right, yeah. 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 yeah, we'll definitely, definitely broadcast that one. Cool. Uh, so Scott, um, there's another really useful tool that uh, is normally uh, brought out during these situations as well. Yeah, um, and I think we might have talked about this a couple. We did. I think we ago. did. Yeah, Briefly. is is when you have a possibility of a rollover, or you know, you don't know where the patient is, because um, sometimes we get to these accident scenes and the patient is gone. For whatever reason, maybe they wandered off. Maybe they ran away because maybe they had something to drink, um, <laughs> or they wandered off because they have a head injury. Yeah, we don't know why they wandered off. So we pull out the thermal camera, which is often used just for fires. But we pull the thermal camera out, and that thing can pick up heat signatures from quite a distance. So get a high point and take a look around, and you can sometimes. I mean, we've done it in training. Um, I know we've done it down in a bankman for training. Mm-hmm. We looked down the hill, saw one of our guys laying down there. Um, we we pulled it out on on uh, on accidents. I don't know if we've ever found a patient on an actual accident scene, but it's definitely something we we pull out fairly regularly when we have possibility of a rollover or a missing patient, potentially a missing patient. Yeah. Yeah, it's a useful useful tool for sure. Um, you guys were missing that foot. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if we looked for it. Yeah, I don't know. We had a, a foot missing on a patient once, um, and I can't remember if we, because it was middle of the day, I don't know if we yeah. actually pulled the thermal camera up for that. No, it, yeah. wasn't, yeah. uh, it wasn't looking for a whole foot. Yeah, it was a ground, yeah like ground a, foot. a ground up foot. <laughs> Not ground up, I guess it was more pump, pulpy. <laughs> I guess that was, well, it's another really big part of, of when it comes to MBIs, right? Like, you, you don't know what you're going to get to see. And it's the part that you're really not prepared for at any point to, to deal with. You, you we all yeah. try to be obviously, and we're we kind of try and just fall back to the training. But if you're going you to see bad see, things, you're going to yeah. see bad things on an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one thing you can't train for or know how to react until you have to deal with that scenario. That's where we'll get into a further episode of PTSD. Yeah, <laughs> I think you know you can't train for, it, but I think you can get your mindset. And we try to, when we hire people, and we brought this up before, when we hire people, we try to make sure they have the mindset of what they're going to see. Because mm-hmm. I think some people are saying, oh, I'm just going to join. It's going to be awesome. It's easy. But we, we make sure they understand that they're going to see some stuff. Because part of it, you have to prepare your mind before you before you see the thing. Well, I know in particular, like when I was starting to join, there was no sugarcoating of it. It's like, yeah. you are going to see nasty yeah. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure, like, if you feel you can't take it now, don't bother joining I think the big thing too, a smaller town department like ours versus a big city, you're not just going to see it. You're going to see somebody you know. Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time until you're pulling somebody you know or somebody's child you know or somebody's mother, father, whatever. Like it's going to be 
there's some some close to home moments. So it's it's not just what you see; it's what you see and who you see. So I mean, again, maybe that falls into another episode. But that being said, too, I know a few guys in the department when they hear the pager go off and it's a major auto X, you know, guaranteed entrapment, blah blah. blah they'll take their time coming to the hall. They mm-hmm. know better. They say, no, I don't deal with that part well. I'm going to stay away from it. There's guys that do. Let I'm them happy. do. And that's fine. Yeah. And again, it's not for everyone. And it's no. not saying that the, if they were here, they wouldn't take up the reins and do what they had to do. It's just the fact that they'd rather not. And we do have guys that are a little bit more um, attuned to it. And it, it's a, it's a tough way to try and put it because i don't know if you ever get used to it it's just kind of a thing right i mean for you warren you obviously see it a lot and pretty consistently spence uh and just another point on that if we're gonna keep going that way um my dad tells a story that uh, when i was a teenager as soon as the pager would go off and there was an mva he'd look in my bedroom prior to leaving the house right yeah and you were known for your uh you're slow driving in the day <laughs> you always that. right on the speed limit yep. <laughs> Yeah, you never know what you're going to see, when you're going to see. Um, you can't train for that. Uh, and that's just where being close with your peers and chatting about it and knowing your fellow firefighters to noticing when there's a problem. Yeah. And to help them deal with it uh, is the best thing you can do. You never know when it's going to hit or what's going to trigger it. Uh, I don't know if everybody will go through it, but... Uh, for the most part, everybody at some point in time. I think just to not wrap up on that, but we've kind of talked about it before. Even if you are like all of us in this room are pretty quick to race to the hall. We want to get here. We want to help out. It doesn't really matter what it is. We want to get there. Uh, there there's guys that are, um, you know, Carl says he's not going to jump on the tools right away, but there's still many jobs on the fire scene. So even if it is that kind of a call, um, you know, maybe don't be the guy that's getting in the back of the vehicle with them, but there's still so many things that you can be doing out on the fire scene, out on the accident scene, you know, whatever it is that, uh, you know, you don't have to put your face right in there. You're still going to be subject to it, but you're not, you're not looking at, you know, right in the eye of whatever's happening. There's plenty of jobs that aren't right in the thick of things. Absolutely. That you can yeah. Traffic control. Them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boat control traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is a huge part for us too, as accidents. That's one of the major mm. safety issues, right? We have to make sure. <laughs> and speaking of, it might hit you as you're rolling up to the scene. You're sitting in the back seat, going, "Holy, I don't want to deal with this." Talk to your IC. Talk to your captain. Mm-hmm. Hey, put me on traffic control. I think it's the first time I mentioned you it was, on that podcast because yeah. it was uh, on. We were talking about the accident, and you said this is going to be a bad one. We could hear what the, well, we could hear what the paramedics were saying, but dispatchers were relaying what the paramedics were telling us. And Warren was like, yeah, this sounds like a bad one. So we we're like, oh, so, so they, those that knew to stay back jumped on traffic control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which that one, it, that was a, it that ended up being a yeah. fatality. Yeah. Um, and, and you can get, uh, fatalities that can be messy. Or, I mean, that yeah. one, that one, he definitely wasn't broken up at yeah. all or uh, oh that last one yeah yeah, yeah it, it was a fatality for sure but uh not messy which was yeah good in a way <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure you know as part of all of this we'll end up getting deeper into that but uh, for now i'm just gonna i'm gonna kind of flip us back over to the other side of this and where we were with the with the other side, so you, you mentioned there, Scott, using the uh, using the thermal camera as a yeah. phenomenal tool for maybe ejections. Yeah. And uh, I know that Warren, you want to talk a little bit. Yeah, and just even going back to what we were just speaking on there is never assume <coughs> what you're going to find when you get to an MVA. Uh, usually, the worst looking MVAs where you've had a vehicle roll over six, seven times. Um, is usually ends up being a little more beneficial for the patient because the momentum keeps carrying on. They haven't had an, a, a blunt or abrupt stop. Um, sure, the vehicle's totally mashed. They're going to be banged up on all corners, but usually nothing quite as severe as long as they've stayed in the vehicle. Uh, once you get those more abrupt stops, you know, hitting buildings or bigger trees, something 
of that nature, a bigger truck where you get those abrupt stops, that's where you'll have your messier, you know, your fatalities and everything else. Uh, yeah, so never assume what you're going to see or what you're going to be dealing with when you pull up on an MVA. Uh, looks can be deceiving, mm-hmm. essentially, at that point. Right. So when it when it comes to when it comes to ejections, uh, now we've got uh, isn't there, there's like a newer with the when the winch the windshields there right? Well, you have the windshields that are so windshields are laminated glass. Yeah. Right. But now what they're doing is they're starting to lamin- the newer vehicles. From what I understand, I don't know when that started. Yeah, I don't know, but we were told. Yeah, not. I haven't seen not any. Too too long ago, but. But they are, now all the windshield all the windows are starting to be laminated, which I don't know so much about the front. Like driver and passenger. Well, that's what we're told. Yeah, oh, really? I haven't seen, yeah. we haven't seen it yet on any accidents. So I, I know, that that's the word like some SUVs, uh, minivans, uh, a lot of the rear glass can be laminated as well. So um, the difference between laminated glass and non, um, like your front windshield, you can't break it and have it shatter. It's non-shattered glass, so uh, you're gonna have to cut that glass away. Um, if you're gonna be coming into a scene where there's a laminated glass pane in a driver passenger window that's going to pose a whole extra step where you can't just walk up to it break it shatter it because and then it's, it's structural break it break because now it's a structural glass and that's that's where i wasn't aware that they were going to do that because i mean those are you know they can roll up and down the structures away from it but on those suvs where they're you know they don't move um they're putting that in there as a structural additive to the vehicle so for that to break um it still stays in one piece it's still aiding to the structure of the vehicle so yeah i mean you're you might break it but then you're gonna have to cut it um get that glass right out of there it's not just gonna shatter break a rake and get get yourself in the nice thing about that though is the most point of us breaking glass is so that when we're cutting a door cutting a window it doesn't Mm -hmm. shatter while we're doing that it's okay we're shattering the glass we're controlling that so now with the laminated glass if we know it is, we've hit it with our tool to try and shatter it. Mm-hmm. We know it's laminated. Well, now we know, okay, we can just go ahead and cut, cut that door. Work around it. Yeah. Do whatever and <laughs> let that glass be. You're still going to have some shards going, so you're still going to want protection for your patient, but... It's not going to marble up and go everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that's going to work out. Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen one, and I don't know if we have any around it, here. It's fairly new. I know yeah. uh, my personal pickup... Yeah, it's got, yeah, yeah, my, my passenger. Can we cut it up a little bit? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. We're in struggle mode. So, um, one one thing that I know we want to touch on um, specifically as well is we we talked about power and things being in uh, the posts, but airbags as well, inside airbags. Um, really big really big thing you want to know where these things are again the pre-plan the documentation kev you got anything there <coughs> yeah so i'm gonna bring up a controversial point i guess i have uh yeah <laughs> let's say a conversation piece <laughs> i uh, had recently come across an article from uh, a firefighter indicating that he going through a lot of auto extrication courses he talked to some students and asked about what um, what their main safety concern is when it comes to being around the vehicle and and chopping things up and everything and he says just about everybody brings up airbags and how they're um, you have to be aware of the airbags and it's a major concern and everything and his point was he had looked into um, incidents involving undeployed airbags and auto extrication and in 24 years, I guess there was one specific incident that kind of everybody kept going back to. And since then, he has not come across an incident of a fatality or firefighter injury due to un- undeployed airbags within auto extrication. So I guess his, his main concern was that a lot of people were focusing too much on the hazard of these undeployed airbags versus the other major hazards that actually do have statistics like traffic and and other hazards on the scene so Spence. i'd probably agree with that guy um 
in my opinion, the number one hazard at any highway incident is traffic. Absolutely. Um, the parameters for a car, car computers are pretty smart. The parameters for the computer to fire an airbag <laughs> are, are pretty, pretty specific. Um, they don't just, they don't just deploy because you cut the wrong wire. Um, when it comes to airbags and pretensioners and things like that, it's the charge, it's the gas cylinder and the, and the pyrotechnic charge that fires the pretensioners that you want to look out for. It's not getting your head in there and all of a sudden the airbag goes, yeah, I'm tilting my head a little bit because I'm sticking inside a window. <laughs> That's not your Dang hazard. The car. You're, you're not going to be poking your head into a window and the car is not going to decide to be an asshole and fire your airbag. <laughs> I don't know. Tesla. 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 Oh, no. Uh, now they're all waiting for Scott to stick his head in there. Howl's revenge. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but cars aren't going to decide to fire their airbag willy-nilly. You see maximum overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we try it. We, I mean, we set off the one in the Sunfire when we yeah. mounted there. Yeah, that's true. Never yeah. even touch us. Right? <laughs> yeah, so I'd probably agree with that guy in that airbags deploying aren't a hazard. Um, their charge, because they do like require... Cut, yeah. If you cut it the wrong... If you cut it the wrong curtain. way and maybe you get some electricity arcing and stuff, you may fire it. But I'd be more concerned about putting your cutters through the, the charge cylinder or the pyrotechnic charge. That could be more messy. Yeah, on a side curtain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seatbelts yeah, cut... <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> Seatbelts as well. Seatbelt pretensioners, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to go back on memory. I think a lot of these things, a, a lot of the airbags and whatnot have, um, there's a small window if all of the, if all the vehicle power is disconnected, it's got like a capacitor in it that, uh, so if, if we arrive on scene, if we cut power immediately, if that, that should always be a pretty early focus to get on there get that power cut uh you have a small window where those things are still charged after and i don't want to throw numbers out there whatever 20 seconds a minute i i don't know what it is but after this window there's no longer a charge so once that's removed you know save from like you say cutting through um that uh charge cylinder they're pretty much rendered <coughs> safe Unless you're really in there messing with that airbag specifically. Unless Tesla that, thinks you're trying to kill it. Tesla so thinks Tesla you're trying to kill it. <laughs> Tesla fights back. <laughs> too smart. Because of the prime directive. Tesla's eyes go red. You know, I know what I was thinking. If, if cars are so smart, why can't we get a smart pumper? Then this debate over pumping. Boom. Boom, Boom huh? Yes. yes. Tesla. Tesla pumper. Let's go. If you learn, next thing you know, the blankets will deploy out of our trash. No, you guys already pissed off Elon Musk. Don't even think about it. It's going to be an app for that. It's going to be an app. Pumping. I think, uh, does anyone else have... I think we're at the bottom of the barrel. I was right just, thinking, I was just <laughs> thinking back through those comments too. One of the one of the hazards, you know, worrying about airbags and not all the other hazards. One of the other hazards, yeah, traffic. Yeah, one of the big both. things. We've had a lot of <clears throat> close calls with people being stupid and watching the pretty lights flashing in the in front of them rather than watching the guy standing on the side of the road with a sign telling them to stop Been with this high-vis safety vest, right? Um, and in recent years, we've really focused more on making sure that we're protecting our scene with truck uh, truck angles and uh, making sure that we're well, protecting our guys. Yeah, we just yeah. shut down the highway now. We don't even care anymore. We're just like, yeah. oh, shut down the highway. It's easy. Just it's, easy getting, it's, it's getting more of a point now that we are doing that. And it's the right thing to do, for sure. Like, don't even bother putting anyone in risk. Like, if there's normally two ways around something, and if there isn't, people need to wait. Because if it was them in the vehicle, if it was them on the scene, they'd want everyone to be safe, too. So, typically, if we shut down the highway and do our job more efficiently, rather than worrying about people trying to run us over... It's going to be open sooner anyways. Yeah. And that's where your duty truck comes into <coughs> handy the best. Whoever the duty officer is should really read the scene. The call we had recently south of town, that was a big thing. 
I was jumping on as soon as I got off the truck was we were in the middle of a corner. Yeah. We're one of the worst corners around. Numerous accidents we've had there. <clears throat> and again, we had no protection to the south where we were we moved into the oncoming lane. Our truck was a little bit out into the lane. And the first thing I said to one of our newer guys, uh, you know, our IC, IC was out of the, the duty truck and already checking out what things were going on. I told one of our guys, I said, go into that duty truck and move it out into the middle of the road and stop traffic altogether. Because I said, we don't want anything coming through. Even though we were pretty well off the road, again, you get those wandering eyes and there's a lot of guys moving around that truck. <clears throat> Too many people are focused on holding their phone up rather than looking where the yep. hell they're yep. going when they're driving mm-hmm. yeah. through. Yeah, you see it countless times on a call. I'd rather you get smashed into a fire truck than smash into you or me. Yep. <laughs> so I just throw that right in the middle of the road, shut it down. Yeah. No. I want to go home. You want to go home. <clears throat> yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. We we talked a little bit about it on the public relations and mm-hmm. uh, sorry on the social uh, media. social media one. Yeah, about mm-hmm. people just constantly just trying to get the best the best angle for their video to be liked on mm-hmm. liked on Facebook, right? And Scene, it's, it's scenes you like our videos though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scene safety is number one, uh, especially on a single vehicle MBA. That person put themselves there. <clears throat> so protect yourselves, then go for the patient. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, Kev, Ash, Rob, Warren. Typical. Scott, Mr. Spence. For Thanks, Carl. Suck. Thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Diamond Tesla. Roll my cars. Tesla fire truck. <laughs> Maximum overdrive. Good night, everyone. <laughs>